You have to draw a line in the sand. You have to build some boundaries. Maybe I'm not the right one for it. Uh, I'm to a point where I don't want to try anymore. You are hurting yourself. This is something we see regularly. What is someone in your life fighting for? And how can you be there for them? Why would a person who's married cheat on his or her spouse? I mean, what would compel somebody to actually get involved with a person they're not married to? Is it because all of a sudden they're madly in love with somebody else? Is it because of the fact that they're some kind of sex addict? Is there something else going on? Whatever the case, we know that it happens a lot. The research is inconclusive. We don't know if it's one out of five marriages or seven out of 10 marriages. It's according to which research you look at and when you look at it as to what the statistics might be, but we do know it happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And in the couples we at Marriage Helper work with, well, three, well, I say, let me say it differently, two out of every three couples that we work with whose marriages are in trouble are there because of the fact that either he or she has been unfaithful to the other and sometimes they've both been involved in that. We deal with a lot of other problems, but that is by far the biggest one we see. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam with Marriage Helper. This is our CEO, the young lady who leads us so magnificently. Her name is Kimberly Holmes. And welcome to Marriage, is it Marriage Helper or Marriage Live? What do we call this thing? It's Marriage Helper Live. Marriage Helper oh. Live. So I don't know the name of it, but happily, <laughs> happily she does, and we're glad you're here. But we want to talk about infidelity. Yeah. Here's my question. So I've been doing some research on this, seeing what, what other people are searching for. And a lot of the articles I've come across has said that there are six type of affairs. I know what we talk about, which we'll get into in a minute, but when I looked at those, I read through them, people are saying that, okay, if we're gonna start by the types of affairs there are, there, that there are, there is the, um, the sex-driven affair is one word for it. I'm not going to remember all six, but there's the sex-driven one. There's the we'll-never-get-caught one. Um, these are how the people are, are talking about it. There's the primarily emotional one. Um, and then there's the incest one, which is people who are related through marriage that think they'll never get caught. So like a sister-brother-in-law type situation or a mother-in-law-son-in-law type situation. And so when we start looking at the types of affairs, that's what some people are saying that there are. If you're going to do that, you'll probably wind up with two or three hundred kinds of affairs because the subtleties and differences can just go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're going to classify something, at least as far as I'm concerned, you try to find as few categories as possible that will encapsulate all the others. Mm -hmm. and, and so, for example, if you look at those, we basically draw it into three because of the fact that we don't need to divide every little nuance of a difference. The first is what we call the short-lived affair, and most of those you just talked about would fit into that. The short-lived affair is really mostly about sex. It's not necessarily about a relationship. As a matter of fact, typically they don't have a very strong relationship with each other. I mean, they may like each other, but sometimes they may not even know each other. Right. And it's about what happens, so it can be curiosity, uh, that somebody's acting on. It can be flirting that gets out of control. It can be drinking where a person doesn't have good control of what he or she's thinking at the time. It can be a vengeance kind of thing, like you hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you. And so most everything you just described, we would put into that. Those are the short-lived affairs. Now, why call them that? Because they typically don't last for years. Now, can they? Hmm? It's possible. 
because anything's possible, but typically not. The reason being, it's all about sexual excitement. Mm -hmm. And since it's about sexual excitement, we know that when people have been having sex with each other for a while, there's a thing called sexual habituation, boredom, if you will. It's like we're so used to each other now that this is not exciting as it was at one point when it was new and different and thrilling. And sexual habituation does away with a lot of these. Now again, sometimes the short-lived affair can go years, but it's extremely rare. It's typically short-lived. It's about sex, no matter what the motive driving it, mm -hmm. it's really about the sex. Mm -hmm. Now, the second kind of affair, because we really needed a category for this because it doesn't fit anywhere else, is what we call the, uh, the allowed affair. And the allowed affair is what mm, way back in the beginning was called wife swapping. Later it was called swinging. Today it's called the lifestyle. And basically that means that it's okay with the partners if their spouses have sex with somebody else. Therefore it needs its own category because that's different than the other kinds of affairs. Mm -hmm. And then the one that we deal with most often, I mean, it, I don't, I, I'm not saying it's the most common one that occurs. I'm saying it's the most common one that we deal with mm -hmm. is what we call the relationship affair. In other words, we have some kind of an emotional connection. And that emotional connection evolves over time to where it involves a sexual component, but it's really not about the sex. So the short-lived affair is really about the sex. Mm -hmm. The relationship affair is really about the relationship and sex becomes part of it. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that if you just bring it down to three different categories, it's much easier to talk about. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of subheadings in that first one. Yeah. Some of the things that you talked about, right? Um, what people sometimes refer to as sex addicts, we'd put that one in the that in the first one, oh, even ranging as far as a person just being at the wrong place at the wrong time, and winds up doing the wrong thing. We'd still put that in that category. Mm -hmm. So those are the three that we look at. And we think it pretty well encompasses everything out there. So the second one, mm -hmm. the allowed affair, mm -hmm. as we call it, is it really an affair? if it's allowed, if both people are saying, this is okay, this is what we want in mm -hmm. our marriage, why would it be bad? That's actually a great question. And at the point when they both still are thinking that's exciting and fun, neither one will think of it as an affair. Mm -hmm. But what typically happens is that at some point, one of them is gonna develop some kind of a relationship with another person. For example, I remember one couple where she finally left her husband for the other guy but it was still about sex. It was just, he's better at it than you are and I'm leaving you for him. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point, it was no longer the allowed. It was like, you mean all these times you've been with him, you've been developing this other thing. I feel I have been cheated on. Mm -hmm. I know it's kind of convoluted. Or they wind up getting an emotional connection with the mm -hmm. other person and, and think, okay, I don't love you anymore. I love him or her now and I wanna be with this person. And so at some point, I think inevitably winds up being an affair at some point, because it, I'm defining an affair as you're violating the relationship that we have. Mm. That's, if you uh, were gonna use, if you were gonna use some kind of church language, for example, you'd call it adultery. It means we're violating the covenant that we have. And mm -hmm. so you're right, early on, the allowed affair, as long as they're both happy with it, they wouldn't see it as an affair. But the experience we've had with a lot of people we've worked with is that it eventually becomes 
that violation of that covenant in the sense that uh, contract, whatever you want to call it, this agreement, this marriage that we have. As far back as the 1980s, mid-1980s, even Playboy magazine was advising against those kinds of relationships, saying that eventually one of you is going to wind up connecting with the other person, another person, and it's going to end your marriage, so you ought not do it. Wow. (laughs) Since you mentioned Playboy, Mm -hmm. where does pornography fit into this, strip clubs, any of those that might not involve an actual sexual act with another person, but a spouse would feel like it was a violation of the covenant. Well, well, that's exactly what it comes down to, is whether the spouse feels like it's a violation of the contract. I was doing a live call-in radio program one night right here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and this lady called and said, I don't know what you guys have against strip clubs. My husband goes all the time. They don't have anything I don't have, and he always comes home to me, so it's fine with me if they go, Uh, if he goes and goes with his buddies. And at least she, at that point, didn't feel it to be a violation of of their marriage contract, if you will. Mm -hmm. If you look at the research about it, and it gets kind of interesting, uh, not so much about the strip clubs, although they could be included, but about pornography itself. Um, Usually what you find in the research is that if it's a new relationship and it's the guy involved in it, the gal typically doesn't take offense to it if the relationship is young because it's like, oh, he's just doing what guys do. He'll be fine. But that if the relationship starts becoming permanent, Mm. then she starts changing her mind about it. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that every woman, no matter who she is, would wind up changing her mind about it? Not necessarily, like that woman that called me on the radio that night. But it's interesting how many do. So even at the point where, like right now, I'm thinking it's just guys are being guys or whatever, at some point, they start feeling like, wait a minute, that person is more important to you than I. You'd rather look at those women or look at those men than me. Or you're comparing my sexual skills to their sexual skills, Mm -hmm. if you're using pornography, for example, or all kinds of comparisons start taking place. Mm -hmm. And so typically, in a relatively new relationship or one that's not very strong, more than the casual kind of thing, it's not typically viewed, at least not by everybody, as being an affair, mm-hmm. violation of the marriage contract. But quite often when it gets down the line, as a matter of fact, at least the research I've seen indicates that most of them, as a matter of fact, the vast majority of them, at some point it does become a covenant violation. Covenant is a word that some people use about marriage. If you'd rather call it a contract or agreement, whatever, that's fine with me. So it's all according to how each of the two spouses view it, but that's liable to change with the longevity of the relationship. Okay. I could go into a lot more questions about that, but we have three types that we're talking about. So Mm -hmm. again, we have the short-lived, we have, where's it lived? Short-lived is actually, now most people pronounce it short-lived, but it's technically pronounced short-lived. Short-lived affair. We have the Mm -hmm. allowed one, we have the emotional one. You said that this one typically starts as a relationship that moves into a physical component. If it doesn't, is it still considered an affair? It's typically then referred to as an emotional affair. Okay. Now, the fact that uh, you have some kind of an emotional connection with another person than your spouse could be just friendship. So we're talking about at some point. Mm -hmm. Well, what point is that? We could argue about that all day long, so I kind of use this as the rule of thumb. The first time you make any communication with that other person a secret, you have crossed borders, you've crossed boundaries. Because if you make it a secret, then something's wrong. 
And so uh, suppose it's not sexual at this point, but we're having these conversations. I remember a, a lady several years ago telling me about how she would sneak off uh, one afternoon, at least every two or three weeks, she'd figure out how to do her schedule, sneak off and spend two or three hours with this guy. Uh, she claimed that she never even kissed him, but had an extremely strong emotional connection to him and she felt guilty. It's, she said, I'm having an emotional affair with this guy. And I'm quite sure that her husband, if he had known about it, would have felt the same way. You have violated our agreement. I mean, yeah. you can't have this kind of relationship with this guy and be okay with me. And so sometimes they do stop at that. Mm -hmm. They do stop with what is known as the emotional affair, which is still better than if it becomes sexual, but it's still a violation of the agreement in my estimation. Mm -hmm. And I think that every, I think the other spouse would agree. Right. It's a violation of the contract. Right. Okay. So in that scenario, there's an emotional affair happening. There's a connection developing between two people. It hasn't become sexual yet. You're keeping it a secret from your spouse. Um, what are the chances that it will become sexual? Extremely high. Now we can't put it in terms of Vegas odds. I mean, because we just can't do that. People are so unique. People are so different, mm -hmm. but the vast, vast majority of those will become sexual. The ones that don't typically don't because one of those two people just can't go that extra step. Mm -hmm. It's like my beliefs, my values are still strong enough. Even though I'm violating them by having this relationship with you, it's still strong enough that I can't go that other step of violation and, and committing full-fledged adultery, if you will, in the sense that we have sex with each other. Um, so most, nearly all will move to sex, but not all. I get this question all the time. Is there a difference in the amount of men who cheat and the amount of women who cheat? The people who, they ask it to me this way. They say, who is more likely to have an affair, a man or a woman? I think that rather than trying to decide that by gender, what you do is you look at vulnerability. Mm. People who feel insecure in a relationship may be of a higher potential to be unfaithful. Mm -hmm. uh, people who feel that they're being mistreated by their spouse, like you don't care about me, you don't love me, mm -hmm. have a higher susceptibility. People who feel misunderstood, mm -hmm. like I've tried to let you know who and what I am, but you don't particularly care. And so I think it has more to do with what kinds of vulnerabilities exist within the individual, even down to people that just need a lot more affirmation. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain people that just need a lot of affirmation tend to be more susceptible to an affair. Now, don't panic based on what I just said, like, oh my goodness, my spouse is gonna have an affair because he or she fits in one of those categories. We're just saying those things appear to make one more vulnerable. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it. And if you think about it, <clears throat> most affairs uh, are heterosexual. Now we, you know, we deal with people whose uh, affairs with same gender, a guy with a guy or a gal with a gal, uh, even though they're married heterosexually, they'll have a same gender liaison, but by far the majority is, is opposite gender. Yeah. If that's the case, then there are many, as many women involved in it as there are men. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Now you say, but what if those women were single? Well, yeah. But if the woman has the affair, what if the guy's single? Right. The way that um, our population is in the U.S. right now, there's an increasing likelihood that if you have an affair, it's going to be with somebody who's not married. Because more than uh, half of the adult population of America is single. 
more than half of the adult population of America is single. So it would not be unusual then that your affair would be with a single person because there are a lot of them out there. Mm -hmm. And that person then you say, well, if she's single and he's married, then he's the one committing adultery, she's not. I'd say, no, I disagree. She's just as much a part of that affair as he is, mm -hmm. even if she's not married to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, <laughs> they have to have a partner Right. And so I'd say it has been pretty equal uh, gender-wise. There are other vulnerabilities that we look for. Okay. So is there a difference? Why do women cheat? If, if there's any gender specificity to it, why would, what would one of those reasons be? Well, again, I don't think there's gender specificity. It's, it's more about other things. Uh, and if you start looking at all the different reasons that a woman would cheat, I mean, I've dealt with women, we have, we've dealt with women who were into sex. I mean, they just wanted as much sex with as many different partners as they could possibly have. Uh, recently, we dealt with a couple where the, she abandoned her husband and her children mm -hmm. and has become in the life, uh, become very active in the lifestyle. She's going to clubs and having sex with as many different men as she can. Each night she goes to clubs. Well, her motivation is about sex. Now. We could argue and probably be correct that there's some kind of an emotional problem underneath that. Mm -hmm. I know of another um, woman who was told by her mother from the time she was five years old that she was a slut. And so she's pretty well lived up to that. Mm. So we can have those kind of motivations. Um, people tend to think, well, if a married woman's going to have an affair, it's going to be because more likely going to be the emotional rather than the sexual. Mm -hmm. There may be some likelihood of that because of the fact that men tend, and notice we're talking about tendencies, these are not absolutes. Men tend to have sex drives that are activated more quickly. Uh, therefore, we can more easily picture a man having sex with a person where it wasn't really a relationship. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we think with women, oh, it's gotta be all about the relationship. But I'm thinking right now, the woman that, that sobbed to her husband right in front of us and a bunch of other people, how sorry she was that she'd had the vengeance affair. Mm. So there are all kinds of different reasons, but must we consider that one big reason for women to have an affair is, I want to have a relationship with a man that I feel treats me as an equal, a man that cares about me, a man that loves me, a man that doesn't try to dominate me, a man that validates my emotions and tries to understand me. Would that be a big deal with women? Yeah, absolutely and may be the biggest reason among women, but there's a ton of other reasons we run into as well as to why women have affairs. Right. Over the past few decades, now that women are working more outside the home, you're kind of seeing this shift in, some people are saying, well, women have more affairs because they're in the workforce now and they are able to meet men better, whereas before when they were at home, they didn't have access to meeting men. Yeah, we started seeing that pre-internet. Mm -hmm. Now, the internet's changed everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, basically what that meant was, it's hard to have an affair if you don't have some way to meet the affair partner. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when women begin to get out of the home and get into the workplace, more access to men. Mm -hmm. But still, even to this day, the most common person to have an affair with is somebody that you already know that your spouse knows as well. Hmm. We hear a lot, for example, um, he had, talking about husbands, he had an affair with my best friend, the wife would say. But even this past weekend, we had some folks in our workshop where that uh, her affair was with 
his best friend. It means you've got to have access to another person in some way. Yeah. Now, if it's just sex, if it's the short lived affair, go out to the street corner and somebody picks you up. But if it's going to be the emotional of kind of affair, mm -hmm. then you have to have not just some access, but a lot of access to each other so that can develop. Getting outside the home, absolutely, they give the opportunity. But now, you can do the same thing and never leave your, your den if that's where your computer is. Right. I had never heard before that it's tip, if it's an emotional affair, that it's typically someone you and your spouse knows. I don't know that that's statistically accurate nationwide. That I'm saying that of the stories we hear, right? It uh, by far, it's somebody right. that they both know. Well, it makes sense because you're probably letting your guard down more, thinking this we're we're friends. My husband knows him. My wife knows her. It's not gonna. It couldn't lead anywhere. And that's typically correct. They don't put up boundaries because they don't right. think it will. Because they mm -hmm. know it will. Okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> so no. <laughs> no, no so your end, end all your friendships. Stay at <laughs> yeah. home. Don't ever go anywhere. Put tin foil over your head exactly. so that nothing can get to you. Nothing will happen. Yeah. Okay. So what about men? Is there any gender specific reason that men might want to have an affair? Is it because one of the things that people ask a lot is, well, or think a lot is their wife must not have been having sex with them. Therefore they went outside of the marriage to go and have that. Possible, um, but at least in what we see, it's not the most common. Um, there's all kinds of theories out there. I mean, mm -hmm. if you want to look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, hmm, men want to have as many partners as possible so they can spread their seed. Mm -hmm. That's what you would say if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint. Mm -hmm. If you look at it from, well, men have very strong sexual drives than to be fulfilled. Therefore, if they're not being fulfilled, they become more susceptible. I actually say that yes, that's possible. A person who is not being fulfilled, uh, a person who is not being fulfilled sexually, does have more temptation, but that's just as applicable to women as it is to men. Mm -hmm. Women have sexual needs as well. They need sexual fulfillment, and if he's not fulfilling her sexual needs, then she's got that same kind of motivation toward temptation as does he. Mm -hmm. So is it possible then that men tend to have more short-lived affairs and women tend to have more relationship affairs? Is that possible? Anything's possible, but based on what we see in the thousands of couples that we work with, it's most every affair has to do with relationship, whether it's he having the affair or her having the affair, it still started off as a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yet we still do see some guys that got into it from the short lived and some gals who got into it from the short lived. But interestingly, unless they have some kind of uh, compulsive sexual problem, mm -hmm. what typically people refer to as a sex addiction, the short lived affairs are the ones that are easiest to fix. I'm not saying it's easy to fix. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not trying to make light of it and say it's not bad, it is bad. But if that's the reason, then there are all kinds of things you can do. To, if it's primarily about sex, then even if you just help the marriage get better sexually, you can do away with that mm -hmm. if, if the partner's willing to stay and right. work on it, those kinds of things. By far the most difficult ones to deal with are relationship affairs because they evolve into nobody's ever understood me like this other person. I'll never be happy again if I'm not with him or her, those kinds of things. So why do men have affairs? I think pretty well the same reasons that women do. It's either going to be, I've developed a relationship that's now supplanted my marriage, 
or I'm doing something that's giving me some kind of a sexual thrill in some fashion, even if it's just my ego being stroked, it's doing that. Are we meant to be monogamous? I'm quite convinced that we're meant to be monogamous. Um, otherwise, we would have a lot fewer males. If you think about it from the animal kingdom, <clears throat> I mean, there's going to be one big bad lion that runs that pride. Mm -hmm. And every so often, young male lions are going to come challenge him. Mm -hmm. if, as long as he beats them, he's the guy and he's going to impregnate all those lionesses. Mm -hmm. right? Um, when it comes to gorillas, mm -hmm. there's going to be one big bad boy. Now, there may be some other juveniles, just like with the lions that are around for a while, okay? But there's just one, and he's the main dude. Interestingly, with the gorillas, when those adolescent males get old enough, the females will sneak around and have sex with them as well. They'll have sex with every male they can get to. Hmm. They do that so that if that guy becomes the head male, if he beats this big uh, silverback and he becomes male, he thinks that might be his baby. You understand from a just a pure animal standpoint, that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you're really interested in that, aren't you? <laughs> but when you come to human beings, it's not like that and never has been, where that just one kills and runs off all the rest and he's the only one there. Even if you look at uh, countries where that there are dictators and powerful men, go back into the, into the past, you know, thousands of years ago, where they'd be the sheik or whatever, the king, and he may even have a harem, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. There were still many other males around, many other males. So from a biological standpoint, we were meant to uh, have a lot of people in the gene pool, mm -hmm. a lot of different men, a lot of different women. And so we were actually... If you look at it just from a biological standpoint, mm -hmm. we are made to be monogamous. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many of the males. Mm -hmm. A whole lot of females, not a whole lot of males. Mm -hmm. And what about other than biologically? The way that we commit to each other. Women want to be able to commit typically to one man. And men, if they actually have the relationship with the woman that they should have, want to commit to one woman. Like, this is the love of my life. For example, we this relationship affair thing we talk about. Mm -hmm. And and so here's a guy mm -hmm. who gets into this deep emotional relationship with a woman that he's not married to. Mm -hmm. She becomes everything. I mean, the be all, end all. It's like, she's all I can think about. I, I ache, literally have physical pain if I can't be with her. And I live in terror that she's going to leave me for some fashion. And I'll give up everything and everyone in my life for that one person. Now, he may at some point have felt that same thing toward his wife when he first fell in love with her. Now, you say, well, the fact that it will change and could hand to another person, another person later, does that mean then that we were made to just go from partner to partner? Right. I don't think so. Because of the fact that when a person is fulfilled in a relationship, they stay in it a lifetime. Now, they won't always have the emotions that are that intense for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Emotions will subside but can be very happy and very fulfilled in that one relationship. So even mentally and emotionally, it, it's more fulfilling to have that one partner so that you can even look at some of the medical research out there about how much longer married men live than single men who uh, supposedly have a lot of different women. Mm -hmm. It's the guy with the one woman hmm. that has the better mental condition, emotional condition, physical condition, that actually extends his lifespan beyond those of the single men. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have someone who's married, but they've found this 
connection, this emotional affair, but they feel that they have this connection with this next person, this other person. Why should they stay in their marriage if they don't have the connection there and they do have their connection over here? If all they're thinking about is what they feel at the moment, mm -hmm. then there wouldn't be any reason. If it's like, no, I just want to do what makes me happy right now, mm -hmm. then, then they don't see any reason to stay. And it's like, it's all about being with that other person. I mean, uh, we call that thing limerence and, and you can go on our website at Marriage Helper, that's Marriage Help ER, MarriageHelper.com and find a lot that we talk about. Mm -hmm. And you and I have done many podcasts on, on uh, an audio podcast yeah. about limerence. And, and when a person's in that state, they long for reciprocation. I mean, mm -hmm. they, with an extremist, mm -hmm. it's like if he or she, let's think it's a guy now, if she is responding to me emotionally like I want her to, then I'm extremely happy. I become keenly sensitive to any behavioral clue that she gives. So that if anything makes it look like she's not exactly happy with me today, I go into this deep misery. I mean, it's like this, it's, it's, it's terrible emotionally speaking. And yet there's still this extreme longing for reciprocation that you, you be with me and that you spend the rest of your life with me and et cetera. That particular emotion then is what makes people think being with you is worth everything. I'll leave everybody and everything for you. But what's going to happen is that is going to cease. Uh, the research is even more ample than I thought. Uh, I knew there was a lot of research about it and have read a lot of research about it, but just in the last few days before we uh, made these videos, I was going through some of the newer research about it and it's, it's amplifying now. I mean, more and more and more and more. Hmm. And more and more it's being uh, established that uh, that kind of deep emotional connection with the other person that we call limerence, not just a deep emotional connection, but the one I'm talking about that becomes obsessive, mm -hmm. uh, where that you're miserable and happy and all those other kinds of things is uh, universally detrimental huh. to the people who are in it. There are all kinds of negatives that come, uh, even health wise, but negatives that come from uh, mental stability. I don't mean you go crazy. Well, Kind of in a sense, you kind of do go a little crazy um, and all kinds of things there. Okay. But that's going to end because that can't continue. If it were to continue, it would literally destroy you. Hmm. And people are in the middle of that going, oh, if, if that's what it feels like to be destroyed, then destroy me because this feels so wonderful. I'll die in bliss and happiness. And that's what it feels like right now. But it changes. Mm -hmm. So why would I, why should I stay in this marriage if I'm having those kinds of emotional connections with her? Because eventually you're not going to feel that for her. It's a biological necessity. It's been evidenced by ample research. It's a biological necessity that that emotion will come to an end. Hmm. It's going to cease. Then what happens? Then you start realizing all the things you gave up over here, the history you had with the spouse. If you have children, the effect it has on them, because when you're in this deep emotional throbbing feelings with this person here, it's like, well, I'll be good to my kids. I'll see them every other weekend. I'll be fine. But over here, you begin to see the effect it had on the kids. And it always does affect the kids. No matter what some people say, it always affects the kids. And so it's like, mm, what you're going to is a fantasy. Mm -hmm. That fantasy is not going to become a reality. You think it will. And for a while it will appear to be a reality. Then you're going to realize it's a fantasy for which you've given up things that were very important to you to get. 
and that you will have damaged people, including you, to have gotten there. Oh, and you even are going to damage that other person mm -hmm. because of the fact that um, all this is going on is pulling her or him, as the case may be, into this same kind of thing where they're neglecting people that matter to them. They're neglecting parts of their lives that have been crucially important to them up until now. They're changing their beliefs and values to justify adultery, if you'll let me use that word. And, and all of those things all have a consequence, mm -hmm. all of them. So why should I try to end that one and stay in this one? Well, if you made a commitment when you married this person, you should honor the commitment. And now by abandoning this person, you're hurting him or her, kids if they exist, friends. You're damaging you because your beliefs and values change. You're damaging you because your future is never going to be what it would have been had you stayed here. You're chasing a fantasy that doesn't exist. And when you finally realize that it doesn't exist, you can't undo all the harm you've done to everybody that matters. Mm. Okay, so what if someone's listening and they say, I hear you, but I'm still divorcing. Let's say it's a husband and he says, I'm still divorcing my wife and I'm marrying the other woman. Mm -hmm. What are some things that he should think of before he does that? Well, obviously in our country, if he wants to do that, he can't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, if you want to think about it, there's all kinds of different things. Well, first of all, financially, if you're married to this one, if, particularly if you're a guy, but it's not just gender, it has to do with how much income people have. Um, you're going to have alimony. You're going to have, if you have kids, you're going to have child support. You also are going to affect the way your kids feel for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to jeopardize your relationship with them. It doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with them, but it's never going to be the same. Uh, it means that if you have been, if you had a particular belief and value system about when you're married, you don't cheat on your spouse and those kinds of things, then that part of you changes and and you're going to become a different person that won't have the deep peace inside that you would have had had you stayed being the person that you were. So there's financial reasons, there's children reasons, there's societal reasons. I mean, I don't know what you're asking me here. What other kind of thing are you thinking? Well, when you were talking about the children, one of the things that came to mind was in some of the research I've done, when the father or the husband is the one who divorces and leaves the marriage, especially if he goes and remarries another woman, then that father, what was it, 25% of them after the first year have nothing to do with their children from the first marriage. And then it continues to go up in the percentage of fathers who have nothing to do with their first family after they've remarried another person. But I don't think they think of that when they're going through it. Actually, if I'm divorcing Alice to marry this woman over here that I'm quote madly in love with right now, I'm only thinking about me. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm in love with her, mm -hmm. but actually I'm in love with my perception of her. You say, what do you mean? There's a thing called the halo effect. What that means is because of the way I view her, I'm not seeing her as she really is. I'm seeing my perception of her as I want her to be. Mm -hmm. Now, when those emotions finally subside, I'll actually see who she really is. Now, or if it's with a guy, if you're the woman, when they finally subside, you'll see that other guy for who he really is. And those are the stories we hear all the time. Mm -hmm. I thought he was Prince Charming. He seemed to be the most amazing man. And then I found out he's the biggest jerk on the planet. He abused me. We hear that one a lot. Or that after we got married, he ignored me, or et cetera, et cetera. And so there, again, 
what and who you think that person is, you can't even see accurately because you're in this halo effect thing. And if you do wind up with them down the line, they're not the person that you think that they are. They're going to be somebody very different than that. And here you are going, it's for you. I give up all that. Mm. It's not for this person. Mm-hmm. You think you're giving it up for this person, but this person is what you're seeing right now and you're not seeing accurately. And if you're thinking, oh yes, I am. I know I am because nobody's ever been as open. Nobody's ever been as transparent with me as he or she has. I get that. But think about it this way. If anybody were to point out his or her flaws right now, mm-hmm. how would you respond? Either you would deny them mm-hmm. or you would downplay them significantly. Yeah. Hmm. Now, if that's what you're doing right now, you say, oh, but that would do that. No, 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 no. You're doing that right now because of the fact that you refuse to see reality. You're doing that right now because of the fact that you're in that halo effect. That will end. Hmm. And you will discover that the person that you're with is not the person that you thought. Hmm. Always. Always. I've never seen an exception to it. I mean, if there's an exception, I don't know it. Right. The question is what all is going to happen between now and when someone sees that that is destructive, hurtful, harmful. Things you can't get back mm-hmm. or typically can't get back. And even if you mm-hmm. do get back, you've still done all that damage in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, how many times have we seen it, uh, men and women, talking about how sorry they are mm-hmm. for the damage they did, yeah. the financial damage they did, the emotional damage they did, etc., uh, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. But give an example. Not long ago, we dealt with a couple, and his father had left when he was about twelve, and and many times he lamented to his wife about how much that hurt him, and how that he didn't know if he'd ever be able to get over what his father did to him when he was twelve. Mm-hmm. Then this guy falls quote madly in love end quote the thing we call limerence with another woman, leaves his twelve year old son. Mm-hmm. to go be with her. And when his wife said to him, but don't you remember how many nights you would weep talking about how deeply you were hurt by what your dad did to you? He replied, I've never said a word about what my dad did to me. It had no effect on me whatsoever. You're just making that stuff up. Mm-hmm. That's how intense this becomes. It even obliterates memories. Mm-hmm. It changes everything to make this okay. But eventually that reality comes back to reality. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specific that women should think of if they're thinking of divorcing their husbands to go and marry someone that they're madly in love with right now? I'm thinking right now the one that uh, a good friend of mine, as a matter of fact, and I worked really hard doing everything I could to convince her not to go with him. But she went ahead and divorced her husband and uh, she had five kids. Uh, Took the five kids with her. Uh, The the dad, the biological dad, got um, 50-50 uh, but she, the kids mostly lived with her and uh, this guy was like, he was amazing. When I would try to talk to her about him, no, no, you've, you've never met anybody like him. He's awesome. And it was about a year after they married that the beating started mm. and uh, that ended that. And then the next guy, because at this point now she, uh, she was reeling, the next guy ripped her off financially for an amazing amount of money and so forth and so on. So. The problem we're having here is that people in those situations aren't believing anything we're saying. Mm-hmm. They're listening to us going, we don't believe you. That's not going to happen. Yet, we've worked with thousands upon thousands of couples and can tell you that it is. 
And we would still like to help you even after it happens. And we'll never throw it back in your face and say, we told you so. But there are so many people that have come back and looked us in the eyes and said, you told me so. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't believe you. I just didn't listen to you. Mm-hmm. What about the people who they're at the point where it's starting to fade and they're thinking, okay, how can I end this? I get what you're saying. I'm starting to see my, the lenses are starting to become clear. I'm starting to see what I've gotten myself into and I want to undo it. How can they end it? Okay. Turning off those emotions is extremely difficult, if not impossible. What I mean by that is typically they don't end just like that. Now I have seen it, Mm -hmm. but that's pretty rare. Typically they're going to kind of go off like this. So it starts with a decision. And it has to be a decision that you make once and for all. That decision is, I will have no more contact with him or her. If you're still married, and, and if your spouse is willing to try to work things out and save the marriage, then you sit down and you write a very specific letter to your uh, paramour, your lover, uh, the person you've been involved with. And, and you don't make it a long letter. You make it pretty succinct. And in it, you don't profess your love like, you know, I loved you deeply. You don't do any of that stuff. What you do is you make it very clear and very specific. Uh, this is over. We will never talk to each other again. Please don't try to contact me, etc. And And don't put anything in there that could be a loophole or give the other person any hope that you may change your mind later. Then you sign that and you seal it, address it, Um, put the stamp on it and hand it to your spouse. Let your spouse mail it so that it it goes. Then you change your telephone number, you change your email address, you change your Twitter account or whatever you need to do. Your Facebook, you block, well, I guess in Twitter you maybe could block them, I don't know, I don't do Twitter. But on (laughs) Facebook, you can block them from your Facebook account and you say, well, isn't that rather all inhumane? And actually it's the most humane thing you can do. Because the worst thing you can do is tell this other person, if he or she still has this emotional connection to you, that it's over and then give them potential hope that it's not. Mm. If you genuinely care about that other person, and I would think that you do if you've been involved that emotionally, we talked about, if you care about that other person, then what you do is that you don't hurt them more than you have to to end this. That means once you say it's done, it's over, you have no more contact with them whatsoever because if you do, even if you just call to see how they're doing, just want to check on you, make sure you're all right. In their mind, that opens a little crack in the door like maybe you'll come back, which means it starts all those emotions back for them again Hmm. and it's just cruel to that person. It's not fair to him or her at all. It's certainly not fair to your spouse. If you're trying to save the marriage and work it out and he or she has said, okay, I'm willing to try to put this back together and you make that commitment, I'm going to be with you, then what do you think it does to your spouse if he or she discovers that you made another phone call or you met one more time to talk or you did another text? It's unfair to that person. It's unfair to your spouse and it's unfair to you because if you do that, it's going to open up those things in your mind as well, thinking maybe we can put that back together and it's going to make this thing take so much longer, so much more painful. And if you have kids, it does the same thing to them, etc. But you've surely by now gotten my point. The, the fairest thing for everybody is to put an end to it and make sure that you can have no more contact with each other whatsoever. Even to the point 
and I've actually suggested this to people on more than one occasion, you may need to quit your job and go work for somebody else if that makes sure that you won't be in contact. Or maybe you need to move. We've actually helped people move where they've moved to a totally different community to get away from that person, not be where he or she is. You say, but why? Because that emotion is so blooming powerful and strong. And then when you find yourself thinking about that other person, because those thoughts will sometimes come back, you call somebody that can help you. Uh, get a buddy, a pal that's on the side of the marriage. Mm -hmm. So that if you call him or her, uh, like if you're a gal, a gal pal, if a guy, a guy pal, for example, you call and say, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Sally right now. And, and, and your buddy can say, hey, let's go meet coffee somewhere and uh, I'll talk you down. Mm-hmm. That can help. And if, uh, if the emotions are still intense, you go see your physician, ask him or her if it's uh, um, okay medically, uh, based on what your situation is, that he or she would write you a prescription for an SSRI. That's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Um, just ask your doc, can I have an SSRI? And when your physician says, why? Well, probably you're going to be having some anxiety problems by now anyway, and it'll help that. But you can say, because uh, I have heard Dr. Joe Beam, PhD, not MD, Dr. Joe Beam say that he has been reading research that high dosages of SSRIs can help alleviate those emotions. And so ask your doc for Zoloft, for example. Now, your doc decides if that's a wise thing or not. Obviously, you and I can't do that. But say, can you give me a pretty high dosage of Zoloft until I can get beyond this? And that can help if you get the dosage high enough. Mm -hmm. The problem is, if they give you a small dosage, it's not going to help and you're going to think it doesn't help at all. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, a psychiatrist friend of ours, Dr. Charles Hayden, told me recently, until you get to 150 milligrams, there's no difference in a sugar pill and Zoloft. Wow. So a pretty high dosage if he or she prescribes that one. But if you don't need it, fine. If it does something where it doesn't help you or does other things, then stop it. That's fine. I mean, get your doctor involved in this, but that's one other thing you can do. So have you heard? You cut off all contact, make it impossible. You build accountability. Mm -hmm. You also build accountability with your spouse. For example, I'd recommend that you turn the GPS on on your phone where your husband or wife can know where you are 24 hours a day. You see, that would be like being in prison. You can't live like that a lifetime. I agree. That's not good. But you can live like that first eight or nine months, a year maybe, so that you are calling yourself to accountability, giving your spouse the ability to know if you're being accountable, those kinds of things. And if you're thinking, surely it's easier to stop than that. If you're completely out of it, yes. But most people are still in it when they decide they want out of it. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do that, and the kind of things I'm talking about are the things that you're just about going to have to do mm-hmm. if you want this to work. And getting to one of our workshops. Tell them about that. Yeah. So the workshops we have here in Nashville, Tennessee, we see marriages and a lot of them, two thirds of the ones that come to our workshop, there has been or is currently an affair going on. And so we have really amazing success rates with those marriages, saving 77% of them, three out of four of them. The marriage is saved. They're able to end the affair. They're able to learn there at the workshop what led to the affair happening. How do I end it? What are the accountability measures that we need to put into place? 
all of those kinds of things are able to happen at our workshop and it really not only helps you to get over it but it it helps your marriage get to the point where you say okay how can we put that here leave it here and continue forward in making our marriage stronger than it ever was before not letting this affair define us but letting it transform us into a better marriage than ever so we do that every other week here in nashville people come from all over the world to these workshops literally the world Absolutely. And if you're saying, well, I can't get to Nashville right now, then we have coaching too. We have coaches who they're all specially trained in this. A lot of them have a story where an affair has affected their marriage as well. And so we have resources available for you and are able to help you through this. Absolutely. Where this is some, one of our team members said today, she said, this is our specialty. (laughs) This is kind of our specialty knowing how to help marriages through affairs. Yes, although we also help marriages with all kinds of problems like Absolutely. control issues, being dominated and controlling, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of things that you can imagine we help marriages with, but this is the one we see most often. Yeah, we do. Now, in this ending of an affair, let's talk about what the side effects are after you end an affair for the person who ended the affair and for the spouse. So it's not like, the feelings end immediately, right? I think that's what a lot of people... They typically don't. That's what... It seems like that's what a lot of people expect. Oh, if I do... If I send this email, if I do these things, then in the next week or two, the feelings should be gone, and that's how I know I made the right decision. Is that... Yeah, if if you're going to make a right decision based on feelings, you're in trouble to begin with Mm -hmm. because our emotions sometimes mislead us. Uh, For example, if you've ever been on a diet, you knew that you needed to lose that 25 pounds for your health's sake, but your emotions were, man, I really want some of that comfort food there. Emotions can lead you astray. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not saying that you should be miserable and that you want to spend your life stoically, unless that's how you choose to live it. But but thinking, okay, since the emotions didn't go away, I'm supposed to be with the other person is illogical. And it's certainly invalid Mm -hmm. um, because you're dealing with emotions as they exist today. They will not stay as they are today. And again, the research is ample. We've seen it with thousands of couples in our own research, but the research by others is ample that that emotion is eventually going to go away. Mm -hmm. And so you're making a decision thinking, this is the way I'm gonna feel for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's not gonna happen. So when it finally changes, (sighs) so make a decision, Mm -hmm. not based on how you feel today, based on decision on what you believe is the best and right thing to do, even if that's contraindicated by what you feel today. What is the best and right thing to do? Because in life, it's when you do that. Uh, you've done that in your life. You, you have actually been in situations where that your integrity led you to do something and you didn't want to do it, but your integrity said it was the right thing to do. And you look back on it now and say, I'm glad I did it. Look at all the good stuff that came from it. But if I had followed my emotions at the time, I wouldn't have done it. But I followed what was the right thing to do. And that's what you do about this. The right thing to do because of the commitment you made to this spouse when you first married each other. Because of the, if you have children, what you owe them. Mm. Uh, And trust me, I don't care what website you find that says kids are going to be fine, they're resilient, because there are a few that actually say that. But if you look at the research, the research is huge, 
huge research out there saying they can get past it, but they'll never get over it. And it's always going to affect them as long as they live. Now, can they go ahead and learn how to have productive lives? Yes, they can. Can they go ahead and learn how to be happy? Yes, they can. But what you have done in the meantime is put them through this unbelievable pain and misery that also will affect the way they think about various things like love, like marriage, like commitment, all those kinds of things. And, and so even if they get past it, they don't get over it, it still affects them as long as they live. Is that what you want for them? So do the right thing for your children if you have them. Do the right thing for your spouse by keeping your word. Do the right thing about your own tech integrity and morals by living up to what it is that you used to believe that you gave up to be involved in this extramarital affair because you know that this was right and now you're justifying what you're doing and you know that. So think about all those things and then get help. We'll be glad to help you. Do the right thing and later by putting this marriage back together, if your spouse will take it back, doing the right things to put your spouse back together, you will eventually have a very deep, tremendous, wonderful love with him or her that is very satisfying and very fulfilling. It will not have this ecstasy component that you have right now in this affair, but what it has is so much deeper and so much more fulfilling. Uh, peace in your heart contentment with yourself, feeling good about the life that you have lived and what you did in that life, uh, all these kinds of things. So it's really a matter of um, maturity. Mm -hmm. What that means is thinking long-term rather than about just what you want right now. Which goes completely against our current culture. So everything in our culture right now is if I want it, I get it. If I, I can go on Amazon and get something sent to my door in the next hour if I want to. If I want to watch a movie, I download it. It's all immediate. It's that instant gratification. And so there's not just going to be those internal feelings that someone is going to be fighting in this, but it's that societal pressure of, well, why shouldn't I be able to get what I want when I want it? Mm -hmm. And look what that's done to our society. Absolutely. I mean, look what that has done and is doing to our society. Mm -hmm. Our friend Dave Ramsey gets on the radio every day talking about how people should fight against that very thing. Mm -hmm. And, and think long-term. Mm -hmm. And he says, live like nobody else so someday you can live like nobody else. Mm -hmm. Now he's talking about money. Well, that would be similar to what we're saying here. Live like nobody else. Don't try to gratify whatever you want right now right. so that you'll live like nobody else, which means that as you get further into life, you can look back and go, I feel good about where I am. I feel right about where I am. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking, uh, I'm going to feel that way when I marry my lover after I finish my divorce with my spouse, then do us a favor. Three years from now, five, but three will work. Contact us and tell us how happy you are that you made this decision three years after you married this person that you're leaving your spouse for. Seriously. Call and tell us about that. We want to hear some of those stories because I've been in this for decades and have never heard one. Hmm. Not one. Well, what should the spouse who did not have the affair, the spouse who was the hurt spouse, what are the things they should expect after their spouse ends the affair? Uh, if your spouse ends the affair and tries to make the marriage work, uh, understand that those emotions that he or she felt for that other person are not going to go away immediately, even though you want them to. Mm. 
they're actually going to go through a grief period, a mourning period. Um, you may have read about Cooper Ross's list of things that people go through when they grieve. You know, the shock, denial, anger, bargaining, all that kind of stuff. It's not as clear cut as Kubler-Ross wrote. I mean, she did a, a great service getting us to think like that. But since her, we've come to understand it's not just that clean cut and it's certainly not linear. Meaning it's not just like you go through the grief process and then one day you're okay. The grief process is kind of like this. Okay. Right. And your spouse will go through that grief process. They, uh, he or she's going to miss that other person. I know you don't want that to happen. I know that makes you mad. One lady said not long ago, well, why didn't he go through a grief period when he left me for her? Actually, I could explain that to her why he didn't. Um, because he didn't leave her until he was already involved with the other woman. So therefore, he didn't grieve ending it with her. Mm. Because he was already involved with the other woman first. But, but now, ending this, bringing it to an end, closing it, is going to lead to a grief period. Uh, therefore, your spouse is going to be moody. Uh, some days they're going to be very withdrawn hardly going to talk to anybody, including you. You're going to want your spouse to tell you all kinds of things about it that they don't want to talk about. Now, you do have a right to ask questions, and we recommend that you do, as long as you do it with the following criteria. Number one, please don't ask any question that creates a visual in your brain. Don't ask if he or she kissed the other person or any other verb you want to insert there. That's not good. It's going to create a picture in your brain you don't need to have. Don't ask them if they went to this particular place or that particular place. Nothing that creates a visual in your brain. Don't do that. Secondly, whenever you do ask questions, um, if you react badly when you get the answer, you're not going to get much honesty. In other words, if you're going to ask the questions and you have already agreed, I'm going to help work this marriage out, then, then you're going to have to have a strong backbone because you're not going to like some of the answers you hear. But if you attack your spouse for telling you the truth, you undermine everything and mm -hmm. put it in the totally wrong place and it's going to wind up ending badly. Mm -hmm. So don't ask for anything you don't really want to know. Make sure you really do and that you can handle it. And understand that uh, while you will have expectations, like if we're going to put this back together, then you need to be doing all these things for me. Uh, it's highly unlikely that he or she can do that right now. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have a right to expect that down the road? Yes, you do. But that's down the road. You say, does that mean two weeks, three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> a lot longer than that. It can be months. And when it does start happening, it's going to start happening gradually. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's typically not going to happen that one morning he or she wakes up and goes, I'm free of all those other emotions. And now I'm going to be uh, very polite and kind to you. I'm going to be taking you places, spending time with you, having fun with you, etc. It's going to happen as an evolution, as, as he or she devolves out of what they were in and goes through that grief process and then evolves into the right relationship with you. And so if you're going to try to put it back together, be patient. Mm -hmm. Now, you do have a right to ask for, for some accountability. Mm -hmm. I need to know where the money goes. I need to know where you spend your time. I need to be able to check on things. Mm -hmm. But make sure you don't make it draconian to the point where he or she feels as if he or she is in prison. So the expectations, it'll take time. Don't expect too much too fast. Be patient. Think about it like this. You're dating again. Mm. But you're dating a person who's also mourning. So think about it like that. 
and over time it can become extremely good, extremely good down here if you don't blow it up here by having expectations that aren't going to be fulfilled and pressing them so hard you actually sabotage what's going on. Yeah, another great reason to come to one of our workshops and get involved in some of our coaching. So in our workshops for the spouse who's been hurt by an affair, they are going to get their eyes open to, again, how it happened, what can happen to get your relationship in a good place to be able to move forward. And it's going to be human nature for the spouse who was hurt to want to attack, ask too many questions, you know, do things that could end up hindering that growth process. And so it's worth the three days to come and really learn that for the future of your marriage. It absolutely is transformative. And then on top of that, having that coaching aspect as well of the person who can get with both of you, give you that individualized guide plan to be able to move forward of what you should do for your specific situation moving forward. It's utterly priceless. Yeah, the coaching becomes extremely important because some mm -hmm. days you'll need to vent. Yeah. You know what he did today. I expected this and he did that. And it's a coach who can be reasonable with you and say, mm -hmm. mm, actually, that was a reasonable expectation on your part. So this is something you might want to do. Or mm, if you really think about it, that was not the most reasonable expectation on your part. Right. I mean, they won't beat you up. They'll be on your side. Actually, they're on the side of the marriage. marriage. They'll be on the side of the marriage, so don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but they'll also gently, but they'll be firm too sometimes saying, if you, you can do that if you wish, you have the right. But if you do, this is probably what's going to happen that you're not going to like. Um, they'll tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the one thing we emphasize in everything we do here. We are always going to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, we will not lie to you to make you feel better. We won't do that. So coaching becomes crucial here. Yeah. Now, do you have a right to be hurt? Yeah. Angry? Yeah. Do you have a right to expect certain things? Yes, you do. It's all about timing. Right. Timing. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Do you have anything you want to add? Nope. If you need anything, you can contact us. You can visit us online. We have a ton of articles and other things that we have on marriagehelper.com. Look at more of our YouTube videos. Be sure to subscribe, like, comment, do whatever you can. We are here to help you however we can. Have a great rest of your day.